I've got uh, Nate and Joseph. They've got little verse cards. They're going to hand one out. Try and get one to every adult, at least every couple. And uh, don't say I didn't give you anything ever. I uh, just thought, uh, well, I thought, my wife was thinking, she was saying, you know how sometimes churches have verses that they focus on for a year, that sort of thing, and uh, how come we never do that? Anyways, I told her I'm preaching on, she didn't say it like that, she didn't at all, I'm just joking. She's not that hard on me. Uh, I said, well, I'm, I'm on Romans 12, 1 and 2, and it, they may be uh, excellent verses for us to remember as we go into this year. And if you guys have extras, go back over and maybe people need to. I don't know. These would be little things that you can stick in your bathroom mirror, uh, maybe on the mirror of your car, maybe on the visor of your hat so it hangs down in front of you. Um, just sort of scatter them around, make sure everybody who wants one at least has one, and we'll be good to go. That psalm we just read, yeah, once again, thank you, Sarah, for leading us, you uh, ladies who continue to lead us in worship. It seems like you're open to the Lord's leading, and He directs you and gets our minds and hearts going in the right direction if we're willing, right? Because sometimes you and I, we come here and we sing, don't we? We might even sing loud, but we're not really engaged with what we're singing about. Um, me, because I've got the tension of the sermon coming up and I'm thinking about things, I'm thinking about every word and sometimes I, I come in here and I'm singing going, okay, Lord, give me some assurance that this is the direction we should be going in this morning and and time and again you know we're singing and he says yeah I'm leading the the worship leader as well and phrases come out that are just poignant in terms of what the Lord has been been challenging my heart with and what he's bringing us toward and and then there are the Psalms the Psalms that you know gather to me faithful ones who made a covenant with me by sacrifice. That was a verse from the psalm we just read, if you didn't recognize it. Um, Gather faithful ones who've made a covenant with me by sacrifice. Who's sacrifice? We would say Christ's sacrifice, wouldn't we? First and foremost. But what about our sacrifice? Did we make a covenant with the Lord by sacrifice, by our sacrifice as well? So let's pray together and uh, as we begin this new year. This is it, our first time gathered together, 2024. 2024, did you ever think we'd make it this far? When you're a little kid back in school in the, whatever, 70s, 80s, that's when I was in, maybe some of you a little before. I look to the left <laughs> when I say that. <laughs> did we ever think we'd make it to 2024? Did we, did we go, well, what would we be doing in 2024? And aren't we glad that we are in relationship with, uh, with God Almighty in 2024, depending on Him through this year and for the future?
Let's pray. Father, we, we do come before you, and we sometimes plod along a day at a time, and we don't really think about behind and before us, the, the past and the future. We don't really think about how we fit in or are fitting in or supposed to fit into this thing called eternity and the greatness of a relationship with you. I pray that you'd help us, Lord, this morning, um, as you do every Sunday morning. Every morning we are willing, you, you help us to see things from the grander perspective as we talk to our great God, as we think of who you are and what you are, Lord, over us, over everything. And as we consider our, our place in all of this, as human beings, our place in all of this as your children, as followers, one with your dear son. Yes, we're true sons as we sang this morning. True sons, but only in, in your son, your unique son, we can be true sons. And so we, we pray that as we come together this morning, as we consider uh, life and our relationship with you and all that this means, we know we will not be able to once again capture it all, but help us to move forward, help us to think a little more deeply, help us to uh, be struck by truths that you have for us as a congregation, that you have for us as individuals, particularly this morning, because we are all in the same journey, but we're all on different journeys, uh, different speeds, different places, different... You're, you're working with us in a very personal way, Lord. And so you know exactly what we need this morning, and I trust that you would just continue to be gracious as you have been, as you promised to be. Be gracious to us, that we might know you better, and that we might worship you better. We pray this in your Son's name, our Savior. Amen. So last week as we closed out the old year, we were kind of talking about that idea of success, you know, was it a successful year that we had and we understand that if we want to have joy and satisfaction in life, it needs to be based on our modeling or following the model of Christ in this thing called servanthood. And the question comes, have we adopted the lifestyle of Christ? Have we adapted to this chief kingdom principle are we adept to this role that we have been called to as as servants and we know that's what it's all about because philippians 2 as we studied it says christ came to be a servant that was what it was all about and we know it's our responsibility too because of that little verse 5 at the beginning where it says before it gets into all this stuff about Jesus and his servanthood, his, his humility, his willingness to give his life, it says have this mind. It's a hard mind to have, isn't it? To be a servant, to be willing to serve. But in Christ, in Christ we can have that mind. Uh, in Christ we, we are compelled 
And maybe you're at a place further on than me where you don't fight with it as much and you just, you, you take more joy in it. But that's what we're called to in this, this whole idea of servanthood and having this mind. And we, we see how Christ did it and we looked at Mark 10 where the disciples wanted to be important in the kingdom and he said you need to be a servant he says are you able to be baptized are you willing to drink the cup those two great illustrations of this idea of what it means to be a servant of Jesus Christ and they said yeah we are we are and then he started to talk about, and we think about what that means to be baptized into Christ, into his death, as it says in Romans 6. And as Jesus talks about the cup of suffering, he said that to them right there and then. You know, are you willing to suffer with me? And they, they said yes, and we find out later they weren't always, they were kind of like modern day disciples. We're kind of up and down, aren't we? We, we go, yeah, yeah, I want to be willing, but sometimes I'm not. I'm not willing to jump in, to be baptized with the baptism and drink the cup that Jesus talks about. And we see he was. And we see these two illustrations, don't we? Today, even in these two ordinances that have been left with the church of Jesus Christ. Be baptized. Celebrate the Lord's Supper, drink the cup, eat the bread, participate. And those are ever-present reminders to us. And Jesus, before he, before he went into ministry, he participated. He participated in the illustration, didn't he? He went down into the Jordan, John the Baptist going, <laughs> I'm supposed to baptize you? Jesus says, hey. We want to fulfill all righteousness. And he wasn't talking about some religious sort of thing. He wanted to fulfill this illustration and he was baptized. And what did the father say about his servant at the outset of his ministry? He said, this is my son in who, in who I am well pleased. Already. What is it we want to hear at the end of our journey? We talked about this last week too, didn't we? Well done, good and faithful servant. In Christ, we can, we can fulfill that trajectory. And we can hear that. What Christ heard at the beginning, we can hear it at the end. As we walk with him, as we follow along, as we, as we serve him. He drank the cup of suffering, didn't he? The cup of suffering, if you didn't hear. <laughs> I heard that question. It was the cup of suffering, he said in Mark 10, and, and then later at the Garden of Gethsemane, we get the, the full picture of that, the end of the ministry. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul talks about the baptism of the Spirit, the cup of the Spirit. 
So think about it. Cup of suffering. It's a cup of the Spirit. And then later, we talked about in John 4, the woman at the well, how it is a cup of, and this is the good news, satisfaction. Right? Not just suffering. Not just this, this, this great weight, but the Spirit is filling us, and it, we will be satisfied as long as we keep drinking. Because as we go through this life, we, we will get thirsty. We will feel distant from the Lord. We'll, we'll feel out of touch. We'll feel like things aren't going well. And he says, hey, keep drinking. He won't hold us back. He wants us to come closer. And I think of it in terms of physical thirst. We're never thirsty anymore, are we? Do you remember when we were kids? I used to... You'd ride your bike to soccer practice, you'd practice, and then you'd ride home, and then you'd hook your mouth up to the faucet in the bathroom when you got home and turn it on so you could get, you know, because you're just cotton mouth when you, now we have water bottles everywhere, right? It's a, it's a billion dollar industry, I think, to produce water, have bottles of water, and to have a water bottle, and everybody has at least a couple, three, What if we were like that when it came to drinking the cup that Christ offers us? This ever-present opportunity to, to enter into relationship with him, to, to drink of, hey, Lord, is this what you want from me? I'm willing. I'll take it. I'll take it. I'm accepting. And so that was our last week. And the question is, how committed are we to this? As we looked back and we can judge our success on servanthood as we look forward. How ready are we to commit to this for the coming year? Not knowing what will come, but in a sense knowing what will come. We commit to what the Lord is offering us. How dialed in are we to becoming more a part of Christ and what he is doing in this world, what he wants to do with us. And I'm not saying this in a competitive way, which is normally the way we naturally think about things. And I'm going to maybe mention that a couple times through here, this idea of competition. And you're saying, well, I'm not a very competition, com a competitive person. Uh, what are we talking about? But as human beings, when we think about these sort of things, when we talk about being a spiritual person or something, that's the way we talk about it. We become competitive. And maybe not, you know, we're not aggressively competitive, but what do we start to do? We start to think about other people. We start to think about trying to be a bit better than the next guy. Sometimes it's not even on purpose, but we think, when we think about being a spiritual person, do, do do people come to your mind? Oh, man, think of that, that person in your experience, in your life, who was, you would say, a very spiritual person. We, we start to think, I do, and we think, oh, could I only attain that level? Or maybe you think of very unspiritual people, <laughs> and you think, I just want to be better than that guy. I want to be middle of the pack, and it's always this competitive, comparative way of thinking when we think about our commitment, our level of spirituality, 
where we're at. And as I was thinking about this, I, I grabbed onto the word, or the word came to mind, consecration. And it's not a word that's used an awful lot, but it's a word that should pull our mind's eye away from other people and focus us on Jesus Christ. And as I thought about that word, consecration, this commitment, I thought of these two verses which you got on those cards, which you have in your Bibles, uh, Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. They were favorite verses of our missionary colleague, Bert Elliott in Peru, the, the gentleman we went down and were working with there when we initially went down. They were his favorite verses, and they were in the middle of his favorite book of the Bible, Romans. And I'll be honest, in fact, this word, consecration it's his word too um, he didn't invent the word but he used that word he was somebody who still used we don't throw that word around too much even in 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 church we don't talk about consecration it's a it's a it's a big five dollar word that we don't use a lot and he he didn't invent the word but he used the word and for me he gave that word meaning. You know, we always have trouble with definitions and, and what does this theological word mean exactly, but he was a guy who, who tried to be consecrated. He strove to be consecrated, to be set apart for the Lord. And not simply in terms of a set of activities or even a way of acting, but an attitude. An attitude that was Soul deep. No, not just on the surface, but right to his soul was, was seeking to be consecrated to the Lord, set apart for the Lord, apart to what he wanted. And it, it permeated the things that he did. So these were, these were his verses. These were, were favorite verses. That's not why we're studying this morning, but that's just something from my experience that, that helps me understand what consecration is. But this is what it says in Romans 12, 1 and 2. I appeal to you, brethren, or brothers. You see, I'm reading in the King James. I'm not, but the words keep coming out, King James. It would be, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, right? King James. But I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. You might have a little number beside there that shows you there's some different ways that could be translated to try and communicate the idea that's there. But it goes on to say in verse 2, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And Paul talks to the Roman church 
You remember he wrote this letter, and it's a very theological letter. There's a lot of truth packed in there about our salvation. A theological reality, a biblical reality, and we need to remember always a real reality, okay? Sometimes we think about the, the theological reality as, as something else, something distant, something... No, it's, it's underneath, above, around... It is, we're living in this reality here, this physical reality. But biblical truth is greater than that. What God is communicating to us about the gospel, about us being lost in blindness, in sin, rebellion, without a hope in the world until Jesus Christ entered it. And then we, we entered him, which we have a trouble grasping in our daily experience. That is more real than what we see and feel and taste and touch. That theological reality that, hey, in faith, in a relationship with God through faith, we, we're in Christ. And we need to remember that is what is real. And so he's talking to them about this reality. And in the middle of it, he challenges them to live according to that reality. That's what's going on here in Romans 12. And in our way of thinking, in our, our psychology today of this present day especially, it doesn't fit. Because if you don't feel it, it's not real, right? That's the way the world thinks. And that's never how we're challenged in the Word of God. We're always presented with, this is the truth, and you may not feel it. You may not feel like it. You may not feel like trying to live it, but this is the reality. Strive for it. Reach out. And it's always with this promise that, you know, God, God promises as we reach out to him, as we take the step forward in faith, as we do what we do not feel, that which we know is real. He says, babe, I'll carry you along. I'll fill you. You are filled, but I'll fill you. You, you will feel Feel the filling as we continue to walk forward and struggle to live for him in this world. And so we're, we're called to act on this transformation, this theological transformation that has taken place in our salvation. If you've come to Christ, if, if Christ has done a work in your heart, if at one point in time in your life you truly understood by faith that Jesus Christ died for your sins, those things that you bore, the burden of guilt that you had, if you understand it and understood that Christ saved you from those sins, you're in Christ. Maybe you're saying, wow, we're, it's wearing a little thin right now. I'm not feeling it. And that happens to us. We go through these up and downs. But that's a reality. If it took place, then we're called to live it out. We're called to continue to take the steps forward even when it seems that God has stepped back. It doesn't seem as close. And that's what living by faith is. 
And so we're called to be consecrated. We're called to be sacrifices, sacred. Called to be holy. And we see this idea in these verses. And I want to talk about this at the very beginning. This is not exceptional. But this is expected. This is our reasonable service, our, our worship. This is, this is what Christians, people who believe in God, people who have a relationship with God, are called into. This kind of a, a consecrated relationship, like I said, not exceptional, but expected. This is not gravy. Oh, I remember that person. He was so spiritual. I could never be like that. You know, that's sort of the mentality we have, which is, no, I mean, Christ, Christ is holy. And if he's in us, we're in him, we need to be moving in that direction practically in our life to become more holy. Not the gravy, this is the meat and potatoes of our relationship with the Lord, with God. Consecration. And so we look at these verses and what Paul is saying here, this appeal, appeal to be a sacrifice, but not simply to be religious, to be a religious sacrifice. It says in this first part of verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, with Paul, it's not just what he says. It's always the way he says it. And, you know, the, the, the new King, old King James, I beseech you, therefore, this appeal. It's an impassioned appeal. Paul is saying, come on. Come along. But it's not a, he's not trying to coerce us. It's not a manipulation. He appeals on the basis of what God has done. What God has done for us. Because it's not manipulation, and it doesn't need to be manipulation, because there is an intrinsic value in the objective he's moving toward. This relationship with God is of great value. Deepening that relationship, understanding our closeness to God that's what brings us joy and satisfaction and hope and peace and all those other things that we long for in this life. They come through drawing near. Being more consecrated. Walking more closely with the Lord. That's a great objective with, as I say, intrinsic value. And it's all based on what God has done for us. By His mercy. He never calls us to be more committed to Him than we are to us. That, no, so than He is to us. Get that all confused. He doesn't. I mean, before we were ever committed to Him, Romans 5 8, you know, God showed His love toward us when we were still sinners, Christ. He died for us. 
He came and he was that sacrifice, first of all, wasn't he? You can never outgive God. Have you ever heard that statement? Normally it happens in one of those uh, one of those services where there health, wealth, prosperity, you know, if you love Jesus, you're gonna get anything you want. You can never outgive, but it's true. You can never outgive God, but not based on some monetary figure that you want in the future, but based on what he's done in the past. He's already given everything, hasn't he? In Christ, we have a relationship with God. Because of Jesus' sacrifice, because Jesus was a living sacrifice, the great God-man comes into the world, gives his life for us, on the basis of that, we'll never be able to outgive God. By his divine power, he's granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness. 2 Peter 1.3. Romans 8.32. He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things. We're not talking about those silly little natural human desires that we all have for a better situation, more comfort. No, God is talking about everything we need and on into eternity. We can count on that. Because he's already given us everything in Jesus Christ. And so with this understanding, considering for a moment the mercy of God for us, who were just sinners, we're propelled toward not a competitive religiousness, but a consecrated relationship. Not a competitive religiousness that kind of a sacrifice oh how big's my sacrifice how how much of i am i at least on par with everybody no a consecrated relationship because we're looking at the lord we're looking at what he did for you what he did for me and we're saying lord i want to be as committed to this as set apart to to this as you are is that where you at? Are you, you're at? As I ask this question, as we read these verses, we're thinking about it. Are you locking eyes with the Lord? I know you're looking at me. But in your minds or hearts' eyes, are we locking eyes with the Lord in this idea of sacrifice? And what kind of a sacrifice Am I making? How committed am I? Am I consecrated? And it's interesting because, you know, we think, okay, this is deep. This is a spiritual thing. But it plays out in our everyday lives, doesn't it? And the way we live these lives. He says, appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. And that brings us back to this reality. And if we have a heart commitment, a consecration to sacrifice 
or a commitment to sacrifice ourselves to the Lord, as he is sacrificed to us, it, it plays out in this human life. It will change what we do with these bodies. It did with the Lord when he was here. It will with us. So we can't sit back and go, oh, but in my heart I'm committed to the Lord, and not have it change the way we, we walk in this world, right? It will change the way you live your life in the morning. If you're thinking about it, if you're involved in it, if we are involved, it'll change the way we get out of bed in the morning. If we can think about being consecrated to God as we get out of bed in the morning, some of us say we can't think of anything when we're getting out of bed in the morning. The way we go about our day, the way we live in relationship with our family, the way we work, the way we play, the way we eat, things we say, will change it all. This physical life, that's the, the end goal right there. And maybe the measuring stick that, that Paul put in there so that the Romans back then and us right now would go, wow, it's not always changed the way I live this life out. Maybe it's because my, my consecration level, my level of commitment to this, you know, he sacrificed for me, maybe I'm, I'm holding back in terms of my sacrifice to him. Because it's hard to keep being sacrificed, right? You think of the Old Testament sacrifice, they didn't have trouble staying sacrificed, did they? Because they were dead. But we're being called to be living sacrifices. And I remember hearing this years and years ago, and I looked it up, you know, we got Google now. And you can find out who said what first. It was D.L. Moody. He said it's hard to be a living sacrifice because living sacrifices, have you heard it? Tend to crawl off the altar. <laughs> Don't we? We're living sacrifice. We're on the altar, but then we, we, it starts to get a little too hot. And we've been doing this a long time. And, yeah, living sacrifices can crawl off the altar. The ongoing nature, the intensity, the heat. We have trouble enduring this role that the Lord endured perfectly in his lifetime here. But what we do is we, we begin this journey of understanding as we study through these verses we understand we don't look to others for motivation we look to Christ others can be an example but be careful because we we tend to start thinking comparatively and 
if not competitively, we, we go, well, they were here and I'm here and I want to be here or at least close to, the, and it's like, no, it's Christ. Christ was sacrificed. Christ continued to be consecrated to the work all through his ministry, and it just seemed as the, the, the flame turned up, as things got hotter, he was yet more committed, more consecrated. And so we understand that our job is not to stay on the altar, in the flame, longer than someone else or move to a hotter, no, it's stay in the flame. It's to continue to be sacrificed as Christ was sacrificed. And that's how we begin this appeal to be sacrificed, not simply a religious sacrifice, but a relational one, one that's involves the way we live our lives and it's with our focus on Christ and how he was sacrificed for us. Second part, a relational sacrifice of acceptable spiritual worship and we get this second part of verse 1 where he wants us, he calls us, appeals to us to be a living sacrifice that is what? Holy and acceptable to God which is your spiritual worship, your reasonable service there's another way of saying it that's not coming to my mind right now rational a rational service it's what's what's expected it makes sense if christ sacrificed everything for us that we sacrifice everything for him but what does it look like to be a living sacrifice and there's some more hints as we we read through these this part of the verse it's not simply the activity of our body. It's not simply the carcass on the altar. But here we see it's the worship of the sacrifice that is the key. Not simply the activity. And this is where we understand a living sacrifice, right, is so much more valuable than a dead one. Because a living sacrifice has a heart that's still beating, that's still living. It's the worship of the sacrifice. It's our worship to God that is the important part. And worship is this thing that is so hard to understand maybe completely, so hard to do. But once again, what is our worship based on? Our worship is based on the nature of God. This helps us understand what worship is. It's based on who He is. And that's what makes a difference. It, we're, we're pulled beyond just, just thinking about God in a religious sense. Well, there's a, a creator God over us. But we think of it rel relationally. And we think, who is he to you? Not that you define God, but in relationship to him. How do we understand who he is? 
You think about it. Worship is a hard thing. We come here and we sing, and there are times when we sing, but we don't worship. When it, our hearts aren't engaged, we're not thinking about, about Him, about who He is. And you think about it when we pray. I remember reading this, and, and it keeps coming back to my mind as I continue to try and pray this idea that it's very hard for us to worship when we pray. In fact, a lot of times we just don't. We, we pray and our prayers become kind of rote prayers that have a lot to do with what we want from God, what we'd like Him to change, fix this, God, and by the way, you might, yeah, and this, over, and boy, if this could go better, it's important to ask ourselves. That's the normal part of praying for us, right? That's the natural part. And it's not a wrong part because we're supposed to bring our petitions before God. But I think the idea is, too, as we bring petitions before God, even those things that, that sound you know, we could say, oh, that sounds really selfish because we're asking God for things. I think the idea is it, it helps us understand who it is we're talking to. Like, why would we talk to God about changing circumstances? Because he's the God who can. Because he's the God who's sovereign over all of this. He's the God who doesn't just know about everything, but he can do. He can do something about it. And so even our petitions should be taking us toward worship. And we're called to worship. We're called to, to, to give thanks to the Lord. And wow, when we thank God, it's not just, you know, thank my lucky stars. It's thanking the God who is sovereign over circumstances who is the God who has provided for me. He's, he's a giving God. He's a loving God. He's a caring God. And once again, our, our mind is blown with the fact that God is involved in details and so many of these insignificant details of our lives, of your life, your insignificant life. Yeah. My insignificant life. And God is willing to mix it up with us and take care of little things. Why? Because he had to? Well, because he wants to. Because he loves us. We didn't corner him. Sometimes we, we get the idea that we corner God or God, boy, if I put it to him this way, no. And so we, we, as we thank God, we think about who he is. As we praise him, this is the obvious one. Okay, if I asked you to stand up right now and pray a prayer of praise to God. How short would our prayer be? You know, to just sit there and, and, and praise God. It's a hard thing to do, isn't it? I, I, it'd be hard for me to do. I'd be grabbing all sorts of texts and trying to, you know, because... I mean, that's why I like using psalms when I, when I prayer, pray and praise because they help give me words that I, I just don't have. But what about if we did do that? If we did spend time simply 
praising God. Ascribing worth. Not because we decide what God's worth. We don't, you know, we're not somebody like one of these people who prices antiques and you go, where did they get that price? Well, it's what people will pay for it, you know. It depends on what people think. No. Ascribing worth is us recognizing the worth of God. Do we spend time? That's, that's hard work. That's like math. <laughs> Thinking about it. I'm ciphering the worth of God. The value that God has in this world. The value that he has to me. The value of my relationship with him. That's what worship is all about. That brings it down to, you know, something that's understandable. It's not, you know, sometimes it is. Like we just think of this Christian life as some airy-fairy kind of like, well, I'm a spiritual person. I've got a personal relationship with the Lord deep in my heart. It doesn't change what I do. It doesn't change how I think. It doesn't work itself. This is where we understand the personal relationship changes how we think. Changes our, our attitude, our perspective, because we spend time thinking about God's worth. And this is reasonable. This is rational. This is expected. This is what spiritual worship is all about. And it's what it's always been about. Even when God had, had ten commandments and all these different sacrifices, we read about it in Psalm 50. It comes up in Psalm 51 as well. In 51 Verses 16 and 17, for you will not delight, the psalmist says. You will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. Well, why does God want sacrifices if he doesn't delight in the sacrifice? What he's saying is it's not about the carcass on the altar. It's not about the flame. It's not about that barbecue smell. It's wafting heavenward. He says, you do not delight in sacrifice, other I give it. You will not be pleased with burnt offering, not alone, maybe we should put in there. But the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise these things. So the idea is not that God never wanted sacrifice. He wanted sacrifices, but he wanted them to be a symbol of the heart of the people who were offering them. Lord, we're giving this up for you. We are going to sacrifice this animal because we know you are a holy God. We, we sacrifice this animal for our sins. Oh, this is a thank offering. Lord, we know that you are the one who's given to us. And so as we offer this offering, we do it with hearts full of thanksgiving. 
God, we can't think of any reason to be giving this offering at this time, but you call for offerings of praise. And so this one's just over and above. We, we, we give you this sacrifice. It's a sacrifice of praise. And there were opportunities for all of these different types of sacrifices. And they're very physical things. And animals are being slain. Blood is being shed. And they're being burned, cooked. Many of them become a celebration among the people. And the people are eating them. But the importance of that sacrifice... The value of that sacrifice, whether that sacrifice was smelled, heard, seen, recognized by God, had to do with not the size of the sacrifice, not whether it was burned up completely or whether it was one that they were supposed to eat part of, but it had to do with the hearts of the people. Whether as they gave that sacrifice, they were doing it, ascribing worth to God. And so it didn't matter whether it was one of those exorbitant sacrifices that, that Solomon gave. Hundreds of bulls and hundreds of goats. Was it the building of the temple or, or some special time? He was giving all of these sacrifices. It didn't matter the number but what was in his heart? What was in the heart of the people? It didn't matter. It doesn't matter. If it was just a sacrifice like poor people gave. Joseph and Mary, when they came to the temple, the turtle doves, right? That was like, if you didn't have anything, you know, scraped together, a little bit of money, a bit of change, and, and buy at least a turtle dove so it could be sacrificed. But valueless if it was just the offering of a bird. If it was just a religious, symbolic thing, what was their heart? What was in the heart? What's in, how were they viewing God? Was this a worship? God, because you are worth it. I have a lot, I, I want to give a lot. Or, God, you are worth it, I, I don't have it, but this is at least what I can do, what you've called me to do. And so we, we understand, We're underst we're, we understand that it is God, his nature. You know, it says what is acceptable to God. You know, each of these three sections we're looking at, First of all, by the mercy of God, that is why we're sacrificed. He sacrificed for us, we sacrifice for him. Here in this, in this part, our, our worship is informed by who God is. What is acceptable to him? And it's not while well, he's sitting here going, you know, come on. We, we look at him, we look at his character, we look at who he is, and we go, he's worth it. He's worth everything I can give. That's why we worship him. His character, his... All that he is informs our worship. Our worship would not be possible apart for understanding the quality 
of our God. And so he's worth it. It's a relational sacrifice. That's what we're called to. Third part, being set apart through ongoing renewal. And this is all of verse 2. It says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. (laughs) That by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We're involved in a process. We're involved in this process that is, is two different things. On one hand, it's not being conformed to the world. And on the other hand, it's being transformed. Right? This is something that is ongoing in our life. This renewal. We're being renewed. Leaving behind, moving toward. Are you in process? You know, I was thinking of this uh, in terms of policing, and I was trying to ask my brother, who's a policeman, what the proper terminology is, and he's not a PR guy, he's a detective, and, and reporting on, he does a lot of murders. But I asked him what the terminology was for this, because I remember hearing it in a number of different situations where the police say, we are not answering any further questions Because this is a, do you remember the phrase? Ongoing investigation. Yeah, they have cooler phrases though than that. Ongoing is one of them. I've heard fluid investigation. Isn't that a cool one? Or this is an active case. And I was thinking of that in terms of the Christian life. In terms of what Paul is saying here. Calling us to consecration. And I think... You know, this is an on, there's an ongoing investigation here. Not that we're being judged, you know, people are looking at it. Just the fact that this is a fluid thing. This, this renewal process is ongoing. We're not there yet, are we? We're not. In terms of being not conformed and being transformed... Not there, but here. This is an ongoing process and activity in our Christian lives, in our Christian existence, in this, this journey of life that we're in. And we need, to, we need to think about that. And you know, I was reading, I'm reading through Romans right now. In my, my devotions, I was reading in Romans 2. And I thought of this in terms of the be not conformed. That push away. Don't be conformed to the world. I, I was reading through Romans chapter 2 where the part where it says judge not. You know, don't judge another because you do, and it doesn't just say you know, kind of, sort of. It says you do the same things. And I thought about that in terms of being not conformed in the positive nature of this idea that you know, we look at other people we go, how could they do that? And then God says in Romans, hey, that's your problems too. Romans chapter 2. Be careful about jumping on those people in judgment. Not that we can't evaluate and go, that is sin, yes. But remember how you get 
connect, and I just thought of that. You know, our judgment or our, our ideas or our evaluations of other people, how it can push us away. It can help us in terms of being not conformed. Because when you see people sinning in the world, when you see people sinning in ways that really bug you, and I see them too, we should go, hey, I don't want to be conformed. That's my nature too. And somehow I'm on my journey, on the journey with, if I, if I go along with the world, if I carry on living this life outside of the Spirit, if I'm not committed to Christ, if I'm not consecrated, I'm going to be walking down this road here. Worse and worse and worse. If there's no concentration. So, be not conformed. On the other hand, be transformed. I have been transformed in the sense that if I'm a believer, I'm in Christ, right? If I've come to faith, God has given me a new heart, a transformed heart. But there's a journey I'm on over here on this side. And so often as Christians, we try and live in the middle. We, just, we sort of, well, you know, get enough pleasure or, or joys. Not necessarily horrible sins. But, you know, I just float around here, enjoy some of the things I've always enjoyed, and not really going forward in the transformation process. Try and float in the middle. It's not going to work. We're not going to be happy. No satisfaction. You don't feel close to God. It's nothing that we've been called to. And Paul appeals to us. He says, be transformed. Keep going in the journey. Keep moving forward. Continue to allow God to change you. It's not an open and shut case. Oh, we want it to be over with. We crave resolution. That's what longing for Christ's return is all about. I'm in this tension. That's where we're called to live. Don't be conformed, be transformed. And, you know, you just, as, a, as, a, as a preacher, I try and think of ways that, you know, I can say what's being said in the text, but illustrate it better for you. And, and there's sometimes where I come to this place and I just don't have good illustrations. But as I'm babbling on to Charles and Gail this morning about leaving, all of a sudden I walk back to my office and I go, that was it. That's it. Because I was talking about, you know, they're trying to get things done. I'm leaving too this week, heading down to Peru. And as you're leaving, my leaving, I'm trying to get this list of things done here so that I can go there. And at some point in time, you've got to make this break, stop doing, and move on. And always, I'm talking about, that's what a deadline is all about. I mean, because there's a time where you have to get on the plane and you just have to say, I'm done with this stuff here. No more. I'm going to go there. And I have trouble. I can live where I'm at, but I have trouble. You know, I, I do better staying here when there is still in the future. You know, I talked about preparing. When I went to Peru 
We tried to learn the language before we went to Peru. We, we made an attempt to learn Spanish. Didn't work because I was living here. And I couldn't project. My, I was too busy. I had too many things to do here to project my mind ahead. But this is what we're called to do in the Christian life. And, you know, I thought about it in terms of this trip I'm on. It's only a trip for a couple of weeks, just over a couple of weeks. Charles and Gail, they're moving completely to the States. And they're trying to get some things done here. They have to get some things done here before they go there. But at some point in time, there's got to be a break. They've got to take that jump and just say, Okay, because there's always more stuff to do, isn't there? Always more stuff to do. And just thinking about it in the terms of the consecrated Christian life, the sacrifice that Paul's calling us to. He's saying, don't be conformed. You've got to leave this behind. And you've got to be renewed, transformed your heart, your mind will affect everything and we're challenged because we see that each step of the way in this passage we are called to a worshipful sacrifice of transformation to the Lord he's challenging us and in each of the three cases, it's based on him. This last one, it was the will of God. According to what God wants. According to who God is. According to what God has done. That's our sacrifice. Our sacrifice matches his. It's everything. Not measuring our, our efforts or an evaluation of our level of spirituality based on those around us. Those maybe who we feel are more spiritual, who we're trying to get to their level, or those who we feel are not very spiritual. Well, as long as I'm better than them, ahead of them. It's not a competition. It's not about comparison. It's not about generating ourselves some kind of a, a satisfaction according to the world around us. But it's a consecration to the one and only body, soul, and spirit. That's what we're called to, right? A consecration of body, soul, and spirit. To the only one who can call us legitimately call us to sacrifice ourselves. The only one who can enable us to just who he is, to worship him. The one who will continue to correct us. The one who's given us this, this challenge that we'll never run out of challenges as long as we're in this life. This joy-filled challenge to be more consecrated, more committed to him because there will always be more to do, always be something else to, to commit to him.
And so what we see in these, these verses is consecrated activity. Our bodies. We see a worshipful attitude. Our spirit, our spirituality, a reasonable spirituality, a worshipful attitude. We see holy Attention or attentiveness. Our soul, our life is wrapped up in wanting more. More of Him, more of who He is. And so what we're going to do, 